Turning to the book of Revelation, please. And I want you to open at the chapter 16 and keep your Bible open during the meeting. Thank you for coming. Let us ask the Lord's help. Our Father, we've come to this hour and this moment when your word is going to be declared. And we say again, like the Apostle, who is sufficient for these things? Lord, I am certainly not. I come before thee, O God, and pray that I will be a channel tonight Oh God, what moving words we have been singing. The King is coming, that's for sure. But will there be those in this meeting that he's not coming for? Lord, help us to realize the seriousness and the gravity of the hour in which we live, for Christ's sake. Amen. There's a train coming. There's a train coming. My father or my brother would shout as we walked and worked the fields of West Romana. And we would turn our head and look, and there it was. There was the train traveling from Bundorn to Enniskillen. I'll never forget the sight of that steam train as a boy of 10 or 11, as a clatter off the wheels on the rails travelled across the water and the smoke rose. What a sight it was to behold as it moved slowly right up round Bow Island, round Cash and up towards Enniskillen. The title for my message tonight is there's a train coming. There's a train coming. And the only difference in my train and this train is that this train is driverless. It's out of control. It's heading down a steep mountain called Megiddo. And it's heading for the plains of Megiddo in northern Israel and is coming at great speed. On the head of a train is the destination. That destination is the valley of Jehoshaphat, the valley of slaughter. It has seven carriages following it. And each one of the carriages are packed tight with nuclear and atomic bombs. And as the whistle blows and the lights flash, the name of the train is the Armageddon Midnight Express. The word in the name Armageddon, I have heard it and I hear it every week. I hear it from the media. I hear it from the military. I hear it from the politicians. 
And indeed, men and women on the street speak about Armageddon and they don't even know anything about it. You don't have to be a rocket scientist or an Albert Einstein to know that our world tonight is out of the control of man. As the psalmist puts it, it reels to and fro and staggers like a drunken man. The world is accelerating at high speed down a mountain to an abyss, down a mountain to its final apocalyptic history. The book of Revelation is the most neglected, the most relegated, and the most rejected book in the canon of Scripture. It's the only book that gives us the full history of the church, of Jesus Christ, and the only book that gives us the complete prophecy of the end of this world that is coming. It is also the only book in Scripture that we are told that there's a blessing for those who read it, who hear it, and who keepeth it. Preachers and pastors and churches seem to ignore it. It has become such a doctrinal minefield that people don't want to touch it, and that is the work of the devil. The devil's work has done a devil has done a mighty work with keeping the prophetic scriptures away from the people of God. I read somewhere some time ago regarding the world that a man explained that the modern world was like a toddler with a lighted blowtorch waddling through a warehouse packed with high explosive jelly night. If you were to say to me tonight, how sure are you that this train is coming? I would say to you, I'm 100% sure and more and certain that this train is coming. I'm more certain that this train is coming than the train that I saw in the mid-50s across the Loch Iron and I saw the smoke and I heard the rattle and I saw it constantly. I am more, I am more sure that this train is coming than that train. Because our eyes can deceive us and our ears can deceive us. But this is the sure word of prophecy. It is the sure word of prophecy, the word of the living God. We have before us tonight, whether you like it or whether you don't, or whether you believe it or whether you don't, we have before us the infallible, indestructible Word of God that tells us everything is going to happen from now to the earth is burned up with fire. God help us from keeping it away from the people. I know that this train is coming. The world tells me the end is near. The word tells me the end is near. And the woes that I hear around me every day tells me that the end is near. These meetings and these Sunday nights are advertised at the coming global holocaust and how to escape. And thank God there's a way of escape. And thank God that those of you in this meeting tonight and we're heading near the end of the day of grace and the day of Christ and the day of the Spirit is coming to an end. But I want to say to you tonight that there's still time. I want to call you tonight to flee to the ark. I want to call you tonight to flee to the refuge. I want you to call you tonight to flee away to the foot of the old rugged cross. And there, take the Lord Jesus as your Savior and be safe when these things come. Now, what I want to do tonight is I want to show you the bad news first. And then I want to give you the good news. 
The bad news that awaits the sinner. Oh, mothers and fathers that a family not saved. This is what they're going to have to go through. I want to speak to, to you tonight of the sinner, what awaits the sinner, and what the good news is for the saint. And for those, let me say again, unregenerate and unsaved, please, please, please consider what you hear tonight and flee from this awful, awesome, ominous, shocking, apocalyptic scene and scenario that lies before every last one. Somebody has said that the book of the Revelation is a book of mystery and a book of majesty and a book of misery. Well, chapter 15 here in Revelation is the chapter of majesty. And chapter 16 is a chapter of misery. And chapter 15 introduces chapter 16. There should be no division between them, I believe. Chapter 15 talks about a glory scene. And chapter 16 speaks about a gory scene that's going to be played out on all the earth. In this 16th chapter of Revelation that I invited you to read, and I invite you to continue to read, there are seven plagues that are going to fall upon the world. They're the last of the sevens, as I call them. And these seven plagues will fall in the last three and a half years of the seven-year tribulation period, which we could go into tonight. There were seven trumpets, then seven seals, and here we have seven vials. Vials were bowls or saucers, deep saucers used in the service of the temple. The seven trumpets were bad. The seven seals were worse. And the seven vials or golden bowls that we're going to look at here tonight for a moment are worse than them all put together. And not only that, but each one of them gets worse. From one to seven, they get worse. And they gather momentum like the runaway train that's coming down the mountain heading for the flames and the inferno where millions at the great battle at Armageddon will be destroyed. I want you to fasten your eyes on chapter 16 and we're going to read and lift out a couple of these plagues and then we're going to end in the glorious chapter of chapter 15. In chapter 16, you read the, ver the first, I'm leaving out some of the verses. We're just dealing with the plagues. In chapter 16, the first plague is in verse 2. The first bowl of wrath, rather the fierceness of God's wrath, that's going to be poured out on the world in the end of the tribulation period. I want you to keep that in mind and I want you to also keep in mind that these plagues are rooted in the plagues of Egypt. And you have a similar scene a way back in the book of Exodus as you have in these plagues. The Lord's showing us that this is nothing new. But God is a God of wrath as well as a God of love. And in chapter 2, it say, verse 2, it says, And the first went and poured his vials upon the earth, and there fell a noisome, an awful, a grievous sore, that scabs and ulcers on the men which had the mark of the beast, and upon them which worshipped the image. So the first plague is poured out upon sinners. Christ rejectors, the same as Egypt, stood in rejection against, Pharaoh, against God. Here we have the Christ rejectors stubbornly who refused to bow the knee to Christ and are now worshipping the Antichrist. 
And if you don't bow the knee to Christ, you're going to have to take the mark of the beast. And you're going to bow the knee to Antichrist and you're going to worship him. Jesus said that. He says there'll come another in my name and you'll worship him. So you're going to worship the beast and this is you here now. This is here you now. I'm talking to you sinners just at this moment. Ulcers and scabs and pain and ache and pestilences so grievous that you can't bear it. So grievous and so awful that it shakes you to the very core because you have taken the mark of the beast, it says in verse 2. That's all the devil has to offer you, sinner, tonight. He has to offer you pain and suffering and sadness and wickedness. That's all he has to offer you tonight. He has nothing good to offer you. Jesus is offering you the gospel. He's offering you the love. He's offering you mercy. He went to the cross to die for you. So you have no need. You, my friend, you have no need to be here. Then we come to the second plague in, in, in verse 3. And the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea. And it became as the blood of a dead man and every living soul died in the sea. That's the salt sea. They talk sometime about the seven, seven seas, but I have counted more than seven seas. But every sea will be filled with blood. If you go down and dip your toe in it, it'll come out with thick blood. There'll be no children going with their buckets and spades to the ocean here, my friend. All the salt water will be gone and it'll be putrefying. Oh, how we need to appreciate what we have here. How we need to appreciate when we go out and go into the Mediterranean, the lovely warm waters. My friend, that's all over. It is all over. All the seas will be covered, the Bible says here, with blood. And every soul in the sea, and I don't know, could we estimate or we even begin to think what they are, apart from fishes. Every soul in the sea will die and stenched with blood like the blood of Exodus in the plagues. And then in verse 4, we have the third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and the fountains of waters, and they became flood. That's the fresh water. That's the rivers, and that's the fountain, the springs of living water, contaminated with blood, You'll turn on your tap and blood will come out. You'll flush your toilet and blood will come out. You'll go to the dog's dish and the blood will be, the water will be turned into blood. This is the infallible word of God and this has to happen. This train is coming. It has to happen. Pure spring water will be turned into blood. Death, death, death will be everywhere. And then in verse 4, we have the next one. Verse, verse, verse 8, we have the next one. And the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun, and the power was given unto him to scorch the men of fire, and they were scorched with great Heat and blasphemed the name of God, which is power over these plagues, and they repented not to give him glory. Oh, my dear friend, this is nothing only. The scorching is nothing only nuclear and atomic warfare that's going to hit the land. And the men were scorched with great and blasphemed the name of God, which is power over the plagues. You would have thought that I cried to God to save them. No, they'll blaspheme God. Even some Christians, when they get a wee pain or a wee scab on their hand, they question God. My dear friend, this is a different picture. This is an awesome picture. This is the picture of nuclear and atomic power that's going to be released and will scorch. Scorch. Men and women, and the skin will melt off them as they stand 
Before the fall, the skin will be off them. Zechariah tells them. These are days that are before us. And it says in the bottom of verse 9, and just a wee word, and they repented not to give him the glory. Do you know that repentance gives glory to God? And if you say tonight that you're a Christian and you're saved and you're living like the devil and you're living with another man and you're living with another woman and you're fiddling your tax accounts and you're lying and you can't be lived with by your wife or your husband, don't be talking about having repented. But that doesn't give glory to God. The life of repentance, true and honest repentance, gives glory, gives glory to God. The next one is in the sky. The next one is in the sky, verse 12. And the sixth angel, the fourth poured out his vial upon the sun. That's, that's the fourth one. Poured out the vial upon the sun. That's the sky. And the sun and the moon and the stars will not shine. And there'll be darkness over all the earth. There'll be a thick darkness, number five says. There'll be a thick darkness. Darkness over all the earth. Jesus said the sun and the moon and the stars will never shine. There was a thick darkness like there was in Egypt. And then you have number six at verse 12. And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates. And the waters thereof was dried up that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. I want you just to think of that. This is the sixth plague. We're not going to deal with the seventh plague tonight or mention it. This is the sixth plague. It is the plague of safety. Do you know that the river, the great river Euphrates is 1,800 miles long? It's 3,000 feet wide and it's 30 feet deep and that great river Euphrates all down through history has guarded the west from the east and there's coming a day when this great river will dry up to let the kings of the east China, Japan and a host more of the eastern countries of the Orient coming over to this great battle of Armageddon. This has to do, it has to do with safety. God has many ways of protecting his people and protecting the nations, and that's why Britain is an island tonight. God set her in an island for protection, and yet our nation is in sin and immorality like it never was before. Read on. We're not dealing with this, we're dealing with this another night. And I saw three, un verse 13, I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, that's the devil, out of the mouth of the beast, that's the Antichrist, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, that's the trinity of evil. And coming out of their mouths will be lies and deceit. Verse 14, of the spirit of demons working miracles and going forth unto the kings of the earth and the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come as a thief, and that God, I believe, puts that in there in his mercy. We're not dealing with that tonight. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he, will, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Verse 16, here's, the here's where they ought to hit tonight. And he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. That's the only place in the scripture Armageddon is mentioned. And it's not the battle of Armageddon. Armageddon is a place where the battle will be fought. And we'll be dealing with that another night. It's going to be an awesome climaxic battle. It's going to be an awesome, awesome day, my friend. When all the nations of the world and all the armies of the world surround Israel to come in to wipe her out. And then the Lord will come. He'll come in the, in, in, in the air and down into the earth with his saints to reign. 
I can tell you, you can see that happening at this very moment. You can see as the days go on, the hatred that there is for Israel. You can see Israel surrounded tonight, maybe not militarily, but surrounded vocally by all the nations, the Arabs, and all the na- every nation is against her. Ungodly nations are against her tonight. And she's going to be surrounded one day. And they're coming in for the final move. Russia coming in for the final wipeout, just to wipe out Israel, what they want to do tonight. And millions want to do that tonight. And then Jesus will come. And he'll put an end to it. And we'll be dealing with that another night. The great battle at Armageddon. And what a scene that will be. That's the climax of history. Now, chapter 15 is the shortest and it is the sweetest chapter in all of Revelation. And I want you to look at these verses with me tonight as we come to a close because this is where I will be. And this is where every saint of God will be when all this other business is going on. And it's just like my Lord to give us that chapter. It's just like my Lord to give us that, to encourage us. It's just like him to do that. To give us this grace, this love, this mercy, to show us where we're going to be and where you can be tonight, sinners. And you can miss all this. You have to come in between chapter 15 and chapter 16 somewhere. And I would go around the foundations tonight and any false profession that you've made to care, but that's all that it is. To care, but it's just a shenanigan of a profession you made to please somebody. It doesn't matter, my friend, whether you have to come out and say, I wasn't saved at all. It's better than coming here. You need to be honest. Those first, that first plague, where the, where the ulcers and all, and the scabs and all, and the noise, the pestilence of all in the body come, that come from the inside. Sin comes from the inside, and its symptoms are outside. And so I don't know by looking at you tonight or shaking hands with you what's on the inside. I don't know. But I'll tell you, the Lord knows, for he brings it out. He'll bring it all night, all out. So here we have in chapter 15 a scene where the saints will be the shortest and the sweetest. It's just like God opened heaven's door for the last time to give us a glimpse of glory. In Revelation 4, he said to the church, come up hither. Here he's saying, come in and see. What do we see? Well, look at verse 1. We're going to expound this now for what time we've left. Chapter 15 and verse 1. Here's what John saw. And what John saw, he told us to see. And what he has told me to see, I'm telling you to see tonight. And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous. This was another sign. This was the third sign that John saw. The first sign was regarding Satan. The second sign was regarding Israel. And this third sign is to do with the world. And you notice that it's the last plague. This is the last of the plagues. Now some think because John says it's great and marvelous that he's referring to the Savior himself. He's speaking and looking at the Savior himself. Well, that could be, and I'm sure it will be, and that's where he is anyway. Why would it not be him? The great high priest has passed into the heavens and John's saying here, I see one who is great and I see one who is marvellous. And on down it says, I'm just and true. Sure, who else could that refer to? Only my lovely Saviour. A hundred times in the scripture you'll get that word, that you'll get those words linked together. Great and marvellous. 
I want to tell you tonight that he is great. The angel Gabriel said at his birth, when she came to Mary, he shall be great. I tell you tonight, he was great in miracles. The miracles were a sign. He was great in miracles. He healed the sick and the lame and the blind, and he raised the dead. I want to tell you tonight, friends, and I can testify to it for 53 years, he's great in mercy. He's great in mercy. And he's merciful to sinners tonight that he has extended this whole business so long. He's great in mercy. James says he's pitiful and of tender mercies. Great mercies. Abundant mercies. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there multiplied to me. He's great in miracles. He's great in mercy. He's great in measure. Paul says in Ephesians, it passeth knowledge. The breadth the length, the height, the depth of my Savior. We can never plummet the depth of his love. We can never plummet the depth, the depth of his mercy. That's why when we come to chapter 6 and these awful plagues, that they all have the saying, you're just and you're true and you're right. There's not one complaint from heaven. Because he's so long-suffering and he's so merciful to extend the day of grace to now men blaspheming. The spit in his face, the crucified him on an old rugged cross. The blasphemer's name day by day and hour by hour. The mocking. And transgenderism and immorality and infidelity. And everything is crowded in the schools. And in mercy and his grace he's holding on. But the day is coming when it's going to end. It's going to end. When his long suffering can last no longer can last him long. He's great in miracles. He's great in mercy. He's great in measure. He's great in majesty. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the potentate of time. Hallelujah. And he's great in mission. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Friend, he is great, but he is wonderful. He was wonderful in his nativity. Isaiah says, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. He is wonderful in his name. His name shall be called Jesus. He was wonderful in his nature. He was holy, harmless, undefiled, and separate from sinners. So we see the Savior. I believe we see the Savior. John's looking up into heaven. He sees him great and wonderful, just and true. No matter what wrath, no matter what come, he's just, he's true. But it's not only the Savior we see the scene. Now watch the text again. Verse 1, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up, this is awful, the wrath of God. So standing beside him in the glory are seven angels, the male gender. There's seven angels standing worshipping and waiting on him inside heaven's door. Now notice they're standing. You'll see this in a minute. Seven is a number of perfection. Each one of these angels, these many angels, each one of them had a bowl in his hand, and it was filled to overflowing. You're not at Psalm 23 now. My cup runneth over. No, no. Not mercy now. It's not grace now. It's not love now. It's wrath. It's wrath. The day of Christ is over. The day of grace is over. The day of the church is over. They're in heaven, they're through the door. The door's closed, did you see in a minute? There's no entry. No way in. Too late for you, sir. The cup of iniquity was full. 
running over with the great fierce, and here's what it says, the fierceness of his wrath. My dear friends, the world and men and nations and politicians and leaders have all crossed the Rubicon when it comes here. China, Islam, America, North Korea, they've all crossed the Rubicon when it comes here and the judgment and the wrath of God is going to be poured out upon the nations. There's a board meeting going on in heaven. There's a conference and a briefing going on, and I believe he's standing in the midst of these seven men. And there's a smoke that says, that covers the door, and no entry. Seven ministering servants stand with vials and bowls, deep saucers in their hand. Now I want you to notice this very quickly, for I want to apply a wee bit to you as a close. The first one, the, the first of these, first thing rather that I want to say about these is they're close. These seven angels are close to the Savior. They're in the sanctuary, they're in their holy place, they're shut in with the Lord. And they're waiting for instruction. I have a wee word for some of you tonight. Just champing at the bit. Trying to push doors open. Trying to do your own thing. I don't know how long they stood there because there's no time in eternity. But I know that they stood in the presence of the Lord waiting on the time to go and waiting on instructions. It tells me that in verse 5. And after that I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle, the holy place, the testament of heaven was opened. It tells me that in verse 6, and the seven angels came out. It tells me that in 16 in chapter 1, and I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out and pour out your, the vials of the wrath upon your earth. Go your ways. There was a time came to go, and there was a time come to stay. There was a time that they were shut in. And before you venture anything for the Lord, and I'm speaking to some of you young people, that will be loved to be in the Lord's work and doing something, but maybe not in the will of God at all, for I can tell you, our land's full of boys who are never called. Our pulpits are full of men that were never called of God. They never waited in the presence of God. The only thing that has some of them in where they are is a phone call. That's the only call. It's far too serious for this. If you're going to do anything for God, you need to get into His presence and you need to stay in His presence and you need to stay with Him until He tells you where to go and when to go. You hear that now? Because I have seen too many young people and too many others going to meetings and getting wee words and coming home with the word. I've seen them. I've interviewed them for Bible colleges with families here. And they went over to the college and made a mess of things in faith mission. I could tell you of a dozen people in my 35 years here who never had the call of God and came to me saying they had the call of God. Forget it. You need to get into the presence of the Lord and you need to stay in the presence of the Lord and you need to wait in the presence of the Lord and when he gives you a word to go, it mightn't be the word that you want. Do you think that these ones wanted to bring this word? Do you think that I want to bring this word tonight? Do you think that I walk the floors in the middle of the night and all day of the day? Do you think it's easy bringing a word like this? The word came to go. These people were close. That's when Elijah, Elijah had to hide himself before he could show himself. And once Elijah hid himself, he showed himself and the blessing of God and the power of God fell upon the false prophets. It was the same with John the Baptist. He was in the deserts and the wilderness until God told him to go. But when he went, he went in power. The same with the Lord for 40 days in the wilderness. Tempted by the devil, he stayed there until it was over. 
Would to God that modern day preachers would take a note of this. Without a law and without a woe, don't go. She says, I will instruct thee. Hear this, sister tonight, sure tonight, I will instruct thee and guide thee in the way that thou shalt go. If the Lord wouldn't have called me to hear, I wouldn't have, hear, I wouldn't have been here a year. Not a year. You need to wait to see where you're supposed to be going and what you're supposed to be doing and when you're supposed to be doing it. So the first thing that we see about these servants, ministering servants of God in the presence of God with a door shut in heaven, they stayed there. And they stayed close until he said, go. Second thing you see about them, they were clean in verse 6. Look at this. And the seven angels came out of the temple, having the seven plagues, clothed in pure and white linen, and having the breast girdles with golden girdles, that the priests wore the golden girdles. They're bearing the vessels of the Lord. And they that bear the vessels of the Lord need to be clean. Isaiah says. Pure and white linen attire the bride of Christ. Are you clean tonight? Are you clean tonight? If the Lord was come along to you tonight like this first like this first plague, if it come to you tonight and say there's things in your heart, I'm going to bring it out into the open. And you walked out of this meeting tonight in scabs and in pains and your eyes half closed and you staggering to the door. Oh, you can go out as you are and shake hands and smile and laugh and all the rest. But if God was to put his finger on your sin tonight, on my sin tonight, and bring it out into the open, Are you clean? Are you holy? As you're here this morning. My friend, you can't go out and do the work of the Lord unless you're clean, unless you're holy, unless you have the garments of righteousness on you. Sure it's the first. These people were in tight to the Lord and because they were in tight to the Lord and close to the Lord, they became clean. Thirdly, they were clear. Each one had a task, special task. Each one had a special calling because it says in verse 1 of chapter 16, go your Ways, and there's an S in it. Every one of them had to go different ways. With the same message, but different ways. Mm -hmm. What way are you showing me, Lord? Mm -hmm. Well, one had to pour out vials on all flesh. That was his job. It wasn't his job to interfere with any of the rest of them. It was his job to do what the Lord told them to do. He was clear. Be clear in what the Lord tells you to do and do it. Go and do it. Friend, the time is short. If he's told you to leave your job and you've got the word from God, leave it. And if he hasn't, don't. Go and do it. Don't talk about it. Don't talk about souls perishing. Don't talk about Armageddon. Don't talk about the apocalypse that's coming. Go and do something about it. That's why we're starting a school here. And I make no apologies for it. I praise God every day for the way he's moving. We're going to do something for the children. 
in this damnable woke thing that's going on around us. This immorality, this infidelity has been hammered into our children. Go and do something, would you? One had to pour out of the flesh. The next one had to pour it out in the sea. The next one on the fresh waters. The next one was the sun in the sky. The next one was the kingdom of Satan. The next one was the river Euphrates. They're all different ministries. All different ministries. Of all different gifts, haven't they? Are you utilizing your gift for the Lord? Because if you claim to be saved and a child of God tonight, let me tell you this, you have a gift, at least one, maybe two or more. But at least one. Why don't no man say to me, 30 years saved, the boy says to me, he says, I don't, I can't know what my gift is. I says, you go down, shut the door and go down before God and ask him, he'll not long showing. I mean, I didn't see any gift about him, but he must have something. They all went their different ways. They were all close. They were all clear. They were all clean. They're all ready for action. They're ready to work for the Lord. They're ready to do whatever the Lord wants them to do. Whether it's a message of wrath or whether it's a message of love. May God guard this pulpit from anything else. We heard a word from God this morning. Shears, there was a word. Lastly, hallelujah. Oh, you thought it was going to end in doom and gloom tonight, but I'm not. Maybe another night, but I'm not tonight. Verse 3, there's a song. Verse 15. And verse 3, And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Now let me say something here to correct things that I hear sometimes. These are not all, this is not all the one song. There's a song of the servant Moses they're singing and the song of the Lamb. You can't put Moses on the same scale as the Lamb. You can't combine them together. Peter tried that on the Mount of Transfiguration. He says, we'll build a tabernacle, one for me, one for you, one for... No, no, they only saw him. (laughs) Only want to see him tonight. My friend, you can't parallel him with any man. No man. This is the song of the redeemed. The song of the soul set free. There's 144,000 saved Jews evangelizing in the tribulation. And not only that, but I include all of the saints of God here in this verse. We're all in the glory and we're all singing the song of the redeemed. I can't sing much. So they tell me. But I'll tell you, I'll be singing on that day and I'll have a harp too for the harps here. I know Raven said that the guitar was a backslidden harp. I don't know whether he's right or not. But I'll have a harp. Says here. <laughs> with harps and with vials, there stands a great throng. Boy, A.T. Pearson got it right in that hymn. We're going to sing it as we close down the minute. He got it right in that hymn. Here they are. And why, why are they singing? Why are they praising? Why are they singing the song of redemption? Why are, they, why, is, why are they singing the song of Moses when he redeemed them from the Pharaoh, from the hand of Pharaoh and brought them out onto the banks of the Red Sea? Here they're singing because we're redeemed from another, we're at another sea. We're beside the Crystal Sea. Moses was beside the Red Sea. Hallelujah. Because they have victory over. Now I want you to watch this very carefully for we'll be dealing with this some of the night in verse 2. And over, they had victory. And don't forget that word victory, victory, victory. Hallelujah, there's victory in Jesus. Victory over the beast. <laughs> That's the Antichrist. That's the boy you'll have the mark of him. 
and over his image. My Holy Spirit's not letting him off here. And over his image, he comes again. And over his mark. <laughs> ah, but he goes again. And over the number of his name. And he sees them all standing on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. Now, as I close, just think about this tonight. Now, what they're singing here is the song of the redeemed. Moses sang it at the Red Sea. We sing it at the Crystal Sea. Moses, the servant, brought them out. Jesus, the lamb, brought us in. <laughs> Moses sang redemption. The saints sing redemption plus the rapture. The first song in the Bible that the saints that the sang was redemption song, and the last one we'll sing is redemption song. Glory to God. Boy, I'm feeding you a question today. Victory! Victory! Over what? The world. Look at verse 2. And as I saw it, there were a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast and over the image and over his mark and over the number of his name stand on the sea of glass. They're standing on the crystal sea. Well, what does the sea speak of in the word of God? sea speaks about the world. The world is like a troubled sea, casting up mire and dirt. Read your papers, listen to your news. It's like it's casting up mire and dirt and lies. Every day and every hour, lies. It's casting up mire and dirt, but I'll tell you, here it's settled. He has settled it all. And the saints are standing, as it were, on top of the world. And they're singing. The song of redemption. And do you know there's another translation says that they were standing beside the sea. Well, I'll take the both of them because the sea speaks about the word of God and they're standing with the word of God in their hands. Hallelujah. So the victory over the world, the victory over the devil, over the antichrist, over the beast, over the false prophet, victory all the way. Victory over the world, victory over the devil, and victory over the flesh. It says in verse 6, when we read it, they're pure and white. And the gold speaks of royalty and sovereignty that the priests wore. That victory over the flesh, the world, and the devil. What a day this will be. Are you saved tonight? Where are you going to go now? Are you going in 15 or 16? Because this could seal it tonight. Do you know that every one of these plagues are poured out one on top of the other? There's no, there's no interlude. There's just one on top of the other. You can imagine. You can imagine someone is standing about and their eyes swollen out and the ulcers and the pains like Job and putrefying sores and the stink of them would be awful and they're crying about and their limbs are twisted and they're broken and then comes the next one and then they go for a drink and the blood's there. And then they look up to the sun, the sun, and the sun has turned into darkness. You know, that pull out of... Deck chair that day, let me tell you. And you'll not, do we not appreciate when we have the sun? Do we not appreciate when we have the light? Do we not appreciate when we have the water? What a day. What an awful day that will be. And I'm spared from it all. And my friend... Only for the grace of God. I should be here. I rejected him. I rebelled against him. I blasphemed his name. And yet in his mercy and his grace, don't you ever lift one finger and say that God is unjust. He's given to the world what the world deserves. 
and he's given to Christ's rejectors what they deserve. Do you think that he sent his one and only begotten son to that old cross to be stripped naked, crowned with thorns, spat on, bludgeoned, battered, mocked? Do you think he did, you think he did it for fun? The very reason, my dear friend, as I close just now, the very reason he did it was to keep you from hell. The lake of fire. Because after this, you know, this is not the end. This, after this comes hell. After this comes the lake of fire. Eternal fire forever. Don't you tell me that it's not big business. The old uncle used to say to me, Bertie, it's big business to be saved. I tell you, it's big business to be saved. And it's big business to be saved because on Monday night and Wednesday night, we can pray for that son, we can pray for that daughter, we can pray for that family, for that's where they're going. And don't let the devil put anything else into your mind. There's hell and the lake of fire and torments and the plagues will be sent justly from heaven, delivered by the angels, coming out of the presence of God. You've been good. You've listened well. We're going to bow in prayer. Now what we're going to do, we're going to sing a hymn. And after that, we're going to stay for a half an hour of prayer. And I know that some of you have arrangements and it's late and you can't go and there's many other reasons. You want you to go out very quietly, please. Very quietly. And if you want to talk, talk out in the car park. And if you want to talk, talk about your mother or your father or your son or your daughter who's going to this awful place if they're not saved. Just a half an hour. That's all. Number 50. With harps and with vials. There stands a great throne. Thank God I'll be amongst them. In the presence of Jesus. And sing this new song. Unto him who has loved us and washed us from sin. Unto him be the glory forever. Amen.
bless thy word. Bless those that now go and those who remain for a while. Keep us close. Keep us clean. Keep us clear. We ask these things, giving you thanks. In our Saviour's lovely name. Amen.